Hi everyone, welcome to episode ten of the Green Room. Uh, Nick, what are you what are you going to give us this week on the uh, on the number ten? Have you got anything? Hello, James. <laughs> Hi. Thank <laughs> uh, well, this week we've got uh, we're going to do things a little bit differently. So we've got answers or questions and answers by some of our listeners and people um, calling in to. To speak to we're, us. we're giving the answers. We're giving the answers. Yeah, absolutely. People Good. asking the questions. So a lot of confusion out there about different energy saving technologies. And so we've got fourteen questions here, um, and so I guess we just run run through them one by one. Yes. But before we get started, have you had a good week? I've had a. Uh, it's been so and so actually. So and so. Yeah. It's Why been. Uh, Do you enjoy the sun last week? Did you enjoy the brief sun, visit sun was, in springtime? Sun was good, but it's all gone. We're back to seasonal averages. Yeah. So that's uh, it's good to hear. Um, so you know, I just want things to go really gently. Actually, I, I don't want it to be too hot. You know, it's not. It's not good. Let's let's uh, let's give summer its its due time. So uh, let's enjoy the early spring. Mm. And uh, yeah, and hopefully you know it can get warmer and warmer as we as we you know as we head into those long long days. But anyway, uh, more pressing things. Let's get on with the questions. Okay, okay. So we've as I say, we've got fourteen questions here. Um, I haven't really had a look at them yet, but let us go through them one by one. So question one is from Mark, uh, who is from Milton Keynes. I'm not probably going to name them all, but what is the difference between solar PV and solar thermal? So the, the main, main difference is, one, solar PV is there to generate electricity. Uh, and so, solar thermal uh, pumps water through a vacuum essentially on the roof, uses the same uh, sun energy, but actually generates hot water. Okay, so, so solar thermal hot water, solar PV electricity. Solar PV electricity. Um, and you need, uh, typically, when you're putting solar thermal panel, because it's not panels normally on a roof, it only needs to be one little panel. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. take up any much, well, nearly as much space as solar PV. It's a few square meters compared to a panel system can be, I don't know, 12 panels, and that can take pretty much most of your roof yeah. space. So there's a big old difference in space. Yes, and also um, solar PV, quite importantly, is, is a standalone installation because it's electrical. So, you know, the, the electrician will go there, will wire it up to your um, consumer unit, whereas the uh, solar thermal, you might need to actually do some work to your plumbing. Yeah, so it's a bit more, a bit more of a, a big operation, I guess. Yes. Um, okay, and if you were to do one or t'other, which would you do? Uh, uh, I'd probably go solar PV, but only if, if, if I was if I was doing a self-build and I was starting from scratch, I'd do solar PV. Yeah, I think solar PV is good, because with electricity, you can also produce hot water. Via you can, yes, version. yeah. And, uh, and, and importantly, uh, uh, well, you can get a bit of an export kick, export tariff kick. So, there's a, so if you produce excess, you, you earn a bit of money. So feed-in tariff yes. for solar PV. Yes. There is the renewable heat incentive for solar thermal, but not nearly as generous. Anyway, right, okay, so that's it. So solar PV produces electricity, solar thermal produces hot water. Do you want to do the second question? Far away. So how do I know if how do I know if I have a cavity wall yeah. and whether or not it is insulated? And comes from Philip Shaw Birdlip. Birdlip. That's right. a small town. I don't know where that is. Okay. So Philip, you when you look at the wall. I'm going, to, I'm going to use the word stretcher bond here. Is that the right terminology? Yes. Okay, so basically, when I'm looking at a wall, if I can see lots of long bricks... So if you look at some walls, you'll see little half bricks. And if you look at other walls, you'll see just lots of long bricks. And that's called stretcher bond. Um, basically, if you see long bricks, it means it's a cavity wall. 
and if you see the little half bricks, it's a solid wall. And what that half brick is, is basically the brick at 90 degrees to the rest of the wall, and it's tying two skins of brick together. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I made that? Yep. Um, to tell if it's insulated, you need to look really closely, and you'll see lots of little, uh, typically, you will see lots of little circle sort of dots across the wall. Um, within the mortar joints Mm -hmm. uh, and that is where they have been drilled and retrofitted if it was built relatively recently and had cavity wall insulation put in you know when it was built it is much much more difficult to see you potentially can go into the eaves of the property so up into your loft and have a look down and potentially you'll be able to see some insulation in there otherwise you need to get someone in to come Mm. and put a boroscope so they drill a hole into the wall and they put a little camera in there and it goes round and has a look. And regulations typically change mid-80s for, for, for cavity walls. And yeah. not, not to say that they're all being filled because there's ways to reach those regulations at the time. But it's quite likely that we'll have some form of cavity wall insulation if it was built after the mid, mid-80s. Yeah. So basically, when you're looking at it, you're looking for the to see the long brick pattern on the walls. Uh, and if you're looking to see if it's been, had it, been retrofitted with insulation, you'll see little mortar marks, little circular drill holes across the wall. Um, right, question three uh, from someone from South London, Tarek. Right, how can I find out if my boilers are fit? How can I find out my boilers' efficiency level? Um, and quite a nifty thing. We've actually written a whole article on it. But before I get into the article, it's quite a geeky uh, admission to make. So I always used to, uh, when I was in my EPC assessor days, I always mm. used to go into the to the SAP SAP tool, which is a tool that all EPC assessors use, mm. and you can do you can. Um, Go through the tables. So how, how would your Joe blogs find that? I think there's an external website. Uh, for some reason, my cursor's not working here, so I can't <laughs> get you the precise answer. So uh, um, Is it Sedbuck or something? Sedbuck, yeah. Sedbuck. can't quite click on this. We'll pop it in the description. We'll pop it in the description. Can you just check that and see if it is? Because then I can give it a URL. Yes, but I mean, just while we're kind of... Talking about boiler efficiency levels, obviously over time they've improved. Yeah. And combi boilers, you're talking, sorry, not combi boilers, but condensing boilers are the, the newest generation of gas boilers and they typically, what, 87% and above yeah. efficiency? Yeah. And so what they're doing is they're reusing the exhaust heat. So it's normally thrown out as waste heat mm-hmm. and they and they basically reclaim some of that heat mm-hmm. and use it to preheat the water going to the boiler. So uh, they're quite, yeah, they're very, very efficient now. So, okay, so to precisely give the, the, the folks the address, if you go to www.ncm-pcdb.org.uk um, You'll be able forward to slash that. sat forward slash pcdb search. Um, actually, we'll give you the link. At the that end. might be easier, actually, Nick. That might as much as I enjoyed so, you giving uh, that URL. But anyway, <laughs> once you once you click through the URL, you will get onto a onto a page as such. I'll probably kind of show it. Maybe this will be good for everyone listening on the podcast. Everyone there, you show so, screen. and then obviously, yeah, on here you can you've got all different options. You can go by manufacturer, and then hopefully that will you know you can drill down to the detail. Uh, to the precise boiler that you've got and how do you find out what your boiler make is what's what's the trick the logo on the front exactly yeah. and if you can't see on the front it's usually underneath or it's somewhere on yeah the, but don't if you need stuff. to get a screwdriver out to try and find the make of it just i wouldn't but also sometimes they, they put the sticker on the second sticker onto your instruction guide as they well, do so. do that occasionally and the instruction guide should normally say who makes it yeah um but uh in essence if you have a very old boiler 
Um, it's probably going to be running more inefficiently than a new boiler. Um, but how old it is, you know, sort of dictates how efficient it is typically. Um, but the big, the big change was when condensing boilers came in. Um, I'm really glad you read out that URL, and I'm Thank really you. glad it was long and had lots of different bits. Thank to you, because <laughs> I imagine no one will be able to find that website. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Are free solar panels a good idea? Serena and Edinburgh. Uh, I think. Well, in in principle, yes, but. The problem is because normally the companies that were giving off, so essentially what are free solar panels? So it's it's effectively like a rent-a-roof scheme. So a company would come in, then install the solar PV system in there for free because the company then would effectively have your roof space for those panels for the period of 20, 25 years, whatever the So they take the feed-in tariff. So they, they get the they government take, payments. And they take yeah. it. But I think now because the feed-in tariffs are so, or they've been so suppressed, I'm not sure how many free solar schemes are out there, no. whether they work at all. No, so I think, so that's the key. So if, if you are offered free solar panels, just find out what the basis is. If someone is going to own your roof for 25 years, I would probably think twice. We get loads and loads of questions on this yeah. about people who are struggling to sell properties that have free solar panels on them mm -hmm. and they're struggling to get new mortgages and that sort of thing. I would give it a very wide berth, are you? Yes. Um, but... That being said, if in your local borough they offer free solar panels and it's completely paid for and, you know... You and it's, a, it's an actual grant. It's, it's actual a, grant. Exactly. Yes. If it's money for you to get it, then absolutely bite their hand off because yeah. you get free electricity uh, and you'll get some payments from the government. So it's worth worth doing there. Um, and that's... We're talking about solar PV here specifically. Yeah, so producing electricity. Okay. So a question from Emma. Uh, is external wall insulation dangerous? Hmm. Quite... Um, wide yeah what dangerous what do you define by danger i suppose uh i imagine that question stems well no i imagine it stems more from the grenfell fire, fire. Mm. well what I'd, what I'd say is um because, i mean there's, there's a video on uh, that, that we did on on external insulation versus cladding systems so external insulation systems are different to cladding systems um in in a sense that um external wall insulation systems by their nature of they use plaster-based or cement-based adhesives. So they, they effectively seal that insulation um, on, on, on the property walls. So um, the insulation materials in theory should not be exposed to yeah. external elements. So if you if you try to ignite them, it would be extremely difficult to do so. They would um, melt within this. And, and if you if you have um, mineral wool, so say an A, A, A1 class um, insulation material, then effectively you're getting a non-combustible system as well. Often people don't think you can get mineral wool on your external walls. Yes. Do you want to so, explain yeah, that Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not like the... I mean, we talked a lot about loft insulation in episode nine. Yeah, it's um, very much different. The boards are highly compressed, so actually that they are um, slabs, essentially, quite heavy uh, duty slabs that you put onto the walls. Which means then, um, when the when the system is finished, you can actually run a trowel onto them uh, and, and actually put the the, the finish yeah. effectively on, on the surface. And that's a completely non-combustible material. Non combustible material. Um, I mean, even the EPS systems are absolutely fine because they are certified, they are fire tested, and they're extremely difficult to, to ignite. Yeah. Because essentially they're encased in this plaster-based concrete adhesive. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think so. I think that's the key here. So external wall insulation is a system that is 
tied to the wall. It's very and, different to the cladding system. And just a comment maybe on, on the ventilation side, as I mentioned um, previously. So it's important that whenever a system is installed that, that all the necessary vents are sleeved and extended. So when the system is installed, you, you're not changing the um, the, the air movement in the, or making it worse. Yeah. And lots of people get external wall insulation to solve uh, condensation. Mm -hmm. And condensation is normally solved by behavioural changes. Yeah. Because there's hot, moist air that finds a cold spot to condense on. Um, so obviously the external wall insulation will mean that the walls are kind of warmer, so the cold, sorry, the hot, moist air won't condense there. But it, it's still there, and it's still there, present in the house. So you might need more vents. You might need to open windows and things during showers and baths and when you're cooking, um, or you can put in additional vents uh, when you're installing external wall insulation. But I think. The, the kind of condensation thing is obviously there's behavioural changes that can help get rid of it. Yeah? Okay. Go on then. Gosh, the next one is really controversial. So is it cheaper to keep my heating on all the time, uh, presumably versus uh, turning it on and off? Yes, because obviously if you have it on all the time, then it's going to be expensive. Um, so we, we, a few years ago, we have an extremely popular post uh, that we, we get a kind of a 50-50 split of, yeah. of people commenting on... What they shall, I, shall I give you the theory behind it and then you can tell me if it's true or not? I can give you the opinion, yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> so so we stated, and I think this is fair, it depends on the rate at which heat leaves the property. So yep. if you have a well-insulated house, yeah, yep. it is cheaper to just leave your heating on all the time. So you yep. set your thermostat at 21 degrees yeah, and it will just keep the house at 21 degrees yep. and your heating will basically just stay on. If you have a house that has really badly insulated walls, so sort of a pre-1930s solid wall insulated, well, solid wall property, so heat loss is very, very high. Um, it uh, It is better, in our opinion, you'll save more money to turn your heating on as and when you need it. So potentially for an hour in the morning, uh, when you wake up, until you go out, and then in the evening from, say, 5 o'clock. Um, just because the rate of heat loss is so high, if you try and maintain that temperature through the day, your boiler has to work in overtime. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of my two pennies worth. Yeah, and um, I suppose, I mean, that's that's very dependent upon the fabric of the, of the house because some obviously if you've got um, a newer house and you've got better insulation, yep. so it's potentially better at retaining that heat. So, But then, you know, folks that comment on, I'm just looking at the, the blog post, we've got loads of comments, you know, people just saying, oh, you know, um, You're talking it's, not, rubbish. it's not my house, it's not my house, <laughs> you know, I, I keep it on all the time and, you know, it's absolutely fine. I think, you know, it's, it's um, going back to the kind of gas ele electricity point, so if you've got gas, even if you keep it on all the time, it's more likely to, cost-wise perspective, to be lower than, say, if you've got Electric heating, electric heating would be extremely expensive in an uninsulated property, so that yeah. would be the worst. And you can run a test, right? Mm -hmm. So you could you could take your meet your energy meter reading. So take two winter months that tend to be cold. So say we do January and February, or January and December, December January. So in December, you take a meter reading at the beginning of December, yeah, and then you basically you put your thermostat on so it's set temperature all through the month. And then at the end of the month, you take another meter reading. That's how much uh, heating you've used, so if you're electricity or gas, right? Then you do the same thing in January, but you heat differently. So you heat it as and when. So you have a, maybe with a programmer, you have an hour on in the morning, a few hours in the evening. Now, provided the temperatures aren't massively different during those two months, it should give you a pretty positive view of, of the best way to go there in terms of whether to keep the heating on all the time or just turn it on as and when required. So hopefully that clears up that one. 
Cool. Uh, so should I replace my conventional boiler with a combi boiler or a combination boiler? So combi boilers. So basically what you're doing away with there is a hot water tank. Um, so you're and the cold water tanks typically in the roof as well if you've got an unvented system. And this is the, the so this is the context that we're providing here. So. Yeah. So so if I was in a flat and I was looking to save space, a combi boiler is really good. The the big uh, the big requirement for a combi boiler is decent water pressure, because if you have rubbish rubbish water pressure, your combi boiler won't do anything. It won't work very well. Um, and with a combi boiler, you know when you run a hot water tap, if you run a hot water tap in another room, it splits the feed, so you can get really weak showers and that sort of thing. Um, whereas if you have a, a conventional boiler. Um, then you know if it's gravity-fed conventional boiler, you can um, you have pumps between showers and that sort of thing. You you maybe can get two decent showers running off it. Mm-hmm. To be honest, um, I would if so if I had a conventional boiler in a, in a you know bigish house, I would stick with my conventional boiler. If I have a combi boiler in my house, I would stick with a combi boiler. Mm-hmm. The only time I would swap between the two is if I was in a smaller property and was looking to save some space. Yeah. But I, you have to make sure that the water pressure is okay beforehand. We're going to get loads of comments from people disagreeing with Yes, because um, it kind of leads on to the next question. So the difference between a vented and unvented cylinder system, which is from Tim in Lewisham. So basically that's talking about a so, so a vented system is what you just said. There's a gravity-fed system. Yep. So um, you know, you've got a cold, cold tank in the roof. So the pressure is basically the pressure of your hot water or your water system is based on the distance between the cold water tank up in the roof and your hot water tank because it's forcing it down and then so it's unvented basically a sealed system working under pressure that's feeding your um, hot water tank from the mains and so typically uh, you come across things like Megaflow mm-hmm. is a type of um, Ariston uh, yeah Joule another yeah. unvented cylinder um, and, and they just run at much higher pressure so uh, people like them, especially in bigger properties. It's good for um, lots, of, lots of showers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but that's the difference there. Okay, uh, number nine. So should I get a wind turbine on my property? And comes from Hamza in Birmingham. And no. I'm assuming uh, Hamza, thank you very much for that question, <laughs> is uh, central Birmingham there. So, yeah, I mean... that. I I would say uh, it depends a little bit where you're based. So if you're on an area where there is lots of wind, top of a hill, not a bad idea. If you are in Birmingham, um, and especially in the centre of Birmingham, um, the obstructions from all the buildings and that sort of stuff will really impact the the wind speeds. And you might offend your Um, neighbours as well. And you'll upset your neighbours. So I would suggest no. There are tiny little wind turbines you can put on sheds and that kind of thing yeah um if you're going to do that as a little diy project then then fine but if you're looking to get any sizable wind turbine just basically just be aware that it number one it can upset your neighbors um but number two they produce electricity intermittently so the wind obviously has to blow to make the electricity um they they can work really well uh, so basically i need a farm in the dales or somewhere like that basically yes cool uh, that was a quick one. Who should I contact to get my gas connected to my property? It's a question we get lots as well, actually. Mm. I had, um, had actually a couple of calls about this last week. So uh, so this is this is where, well, I mean, 
consumers may be faced with lots of different scenarios. So it could be that, you know, they're trying to get gas to the property and then the street itself has already got gas and mm -hmm. for whatever reason, the property, you know, has never been connected. Other scenario is um, the property has a gas meter, but it's, it's for some reason, it's been disconnected. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or the third one, which is kind of the, probably the, the most extrusive one is say I'm, I'm in a, more rural parts of the country and, and you know you as a collective between you and your uh, neighbours you're trying to get gas onto the gas grid yeah because gas is cheaper to heat your house than electricity yeah exactly and then yep. you've got probably oil boilers and it's maintenance and, and you know kind mm -hmm. of feeding feeding your um, oil tank and all that stuff you, you know everyone's kind of come together and wants to, to get gas installed so um, who do you get so the, the first so, so how how, um, how the UK has been um Sort of set up in terms of the so so you you, you have to basically find out who your um, what they call a gas distribution network or they used to be called DSNs or something like that. But anyway, so essentially whatever part of the country you are in in um, whether you're in the southwest or southeast, you're going to have a different company that that looks after it all. Previously, the national grid pretty much used to cover majority of it, but then. Over, over time, it's been kind of more regionalised. If you call the national grid, would they be able to tell you who is your person? No. So I think they've been renamed to Cadent or something like that. So it's, it's a different company. So, for example, if I'm in um, the south, southeast or, or, or the south of the country, um, which is kind of split into two, which kind of makes it even more complicated. So you've got Scotia Gas Networks or SGN. Um, I'm in charge of that. But then if I'm in, in Wales, it's Wales and West Utilities. Ah. Okay, so, and then up uh, north you've got the Northern Gas Networks, yeah. and then everywhere else... is Caden gas, gas, which I think is kind of the spin-off from National Grid. Okay. So, um, yeah, essentially you're going to have to find out who this, um, who your gas network is, speak to them, uh, lay out what you're trying to do, and then depending upon how big the project is, they will come back to you with a cost. Yeah, it can be very expensive, so be wary of that. We'll put a link to the map uh, in the description. Cool, right. Uh, next one. How do thermostatic radi radiator valves work? Question for me. <laughs> so the uh, ones I don't know, I pass on. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so they they essentially regulate how much um, hot water is getting pumped into the radiator. So they these these valves they they sit on the on the bottom of the radiator, and you can adjust the setting from a high to a low, mm -hmm. or from low to high depending on how hot you want it. So obviously the, the more open the valve is or the higher the setting, the more hot water, the hot water is put through the, the radiator system. So therefore the hotter the, mm -hmm. the room would get or rather the radiator would, would emit. Um, and obviously if you like it more comfortable and lower, you just turn the valve down. Yeah. So that's pro that was kind of the, you know, quite, um, I mean, it's been around. TRB's, well, that's what everyone still TRB's normally been around uses. Because that's, that's what I use in my house. Yeah. But they have now evolved. Is that right? because, so, I don't know, if you're, because you've got multiple people using different rooms, yeah. you, you might want your room to be... Well, some cooler, people are like, yeah, water. some people are cold, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you have a spare room, for example, you might just turn that off, basically turn it right down, stop it freezing, but turn it right, right down. And, and then, then I when find, that room's used, and you I find that works for when you work from home, for instance. Um, I, I find that works really well because then, you know, majority of the people will not be in the house, like the children and stuff like that. So you know, then you just turn. You, what well, you, you you prioritize a, a room, so like your living room, you just work out the living yeah, room. Yeah, exactly. The other rooms. Yeah, you don't have to heat as much. Yeah. Keep so it's it's a kind of way of producing less hot water, which means energy savings. There are new um, thermostatic radiator valves. 
which are recording the temperature in the room, mm. and then they will open and close accordingly to try and get you up to a temperature. People who make them are... It's escape, escape. So there's, I think there's a Honeywell Evo home. Yes. Have a thermostatic radiator valve, which has a proper thermostat. Um, I can't think of any others, but there are a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, yeah, no, they're they're a really good idea. To be fair, that makes sense. That's kind of part of your heating control system, which I guess we'll discuss in more detail at some other time. They get really fancy. You can get ones that you know connect to your phone, and so you can um, turn your heat radiator yeah, on smart, from your, to, to the room. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, right, next one. Where can I get a new back boiler? Mm. You can't. Um, so I think you've, so no, I, you I can't. Think, I think like three years ago, four years ago, it was discontinued. Yeah, so so we, the reason I think, I mean, we, we get asses a lot again. Uh, you just can't get them. If you can find one on eBay, fine. Make sure someone gas safe comes and installs it and tests it, etc., etc. But... It is very, very tricky. So apologies about that because it is a pain to replace one of those. So then that goes back to the other points we're talking about combi. So maybe if it's a smallish property, you'd get a combination boiler. Or, yep. And then um, if it's a yeah decent sized house, probably go for a, an unvented mm-hmm. system. Yeah. Some people, you can still get replacement parts for um, for some of the back boilers if you're really, really attached to your back boiler. But I was talking to someone at Baxi who make a lot of the back boilers, a lot of people have Baxi back boilers, and they said that there's a problem um, with counterfeit replacement parts which mm-hmm. break. So if so you don't are trying to get a replacement part, make sure that it's authentic. authentic. Mm. Once again, do not okay. go on eBay. <laughs> oh, so that was bad advice, was it? Yeah. Sorry about that. Don't go on eBay. Okay, good. Can I get an air source heat pump for free? So, air source heat pumps, they produce hot water. It's sort of opposed to a, putting a gas boiler in. Um, they, heating hot water. Yeah, for heating hot water. They are considered a renewable energy source, um, basically because their efficiency is, is over one, i.e. you put one unit of electricity in and you get sort of a few units of hot water. Uh, which is which is quite clever in theory. Um, the uh, as such, the government pays a renewable heat incentive. So the government pays a, you a quarterly payment for having one of those in your place in your house. Um, you can get them for free because what okay. happens there is basically the provider of the free system mm-hmm. will be taking your renewable heat incentive mm. it is very very rare that the numbers work for the for that installer to so make there might be a contribution work. yeah there might be a contribution it's a little bit a little bit like because the terms are a lot less so when we talked about free solar panels yeah and you've you'll rent your roof for 25 years this is kind of a similar idea but the renewable heat incentive is only paid for seven years mm. so it's I, for me, I, I would probably be quite anti it because you're still in that so, potentially in that same position. Yeah, I would if, if it was me and I could take um, a finance product. That's what I'd probably do. I'd take a finance product uh, and then spread the payments for the install over a number of years, and then you've got the renewable heat incentive yeah. to at least offset some of those payments. So for me, that's what I would I would do if I don't have the cash up front. Yeah, and then you know speak to your mortgage provider, see if they you know would offer that as part of your mortgage. Deal, you can in Scotland, can't you? What's the Scottish loan thingy called? Uh, it's called Heaps, which is the Home Energy Efficiency Plan for Scotland. I think that's what it's called. Okay, and there you can get 
loaned specifically yeah. to to improve various bits like this in your house. So if you're listening, you know Scotland. Although Scotland, in Scotland, Scotland, where the temperatures are kind of lower, say than in England, mm. might yeah, not be as efficient. Pump. Yeah, it might not be the way forward. Yeah, because as as the temperature goes down, you're taking basically you're taking heat, latent heat from the air. So obviously, when it's cooler temperature externally, it's more difficult. You need more energy to extract that heat. Uh, so. There you just hate air source heat pumps, don't you? Hate air source heat pumps. So Mark says, um, "What's the well asks? What's the cheapest kind of installation for lofts?" I say to Mark, "Episode nine is fantastic. Um, episode two to look at, where James and I discuss all aspects of, of lofts and all the materials and various things." But just a summary, I would say that the fiberglass, the, the yeah, fiberglass mesh stuff so, you get from B and Q, um, yeah, you can. And if you buy in September, October, they tend to have offers on. Just before ahead of the winter, so it's cheaper then to do it actually. Um, and there are you, there are still companies offering that for free because uh, there is some government funding kicking about for that. So, but definitely check out episode nine because we we talk about lofts um, a lot in that video. And have we got anything else to talk about today? I mean, because that's it from our fourteen questions. Are you? I think so. Yeah, I didn't see anything major that made the energy news this week. To eco builds on this week, which has been renamed as Future, Future build. build. Yep. Are you heading down there? I am heading there tomorrow okay. afternoon. Okay. For the uh, uh, for the ending bit, just to see see what's going on. Perfect. But Good. Uh, maybe yes. you can report back next week and let us know. See if there's any interesting solutions. Yeah. Um, I think it was really funny. So EcoBuild used to be, oh, sorry, well, it future was EcoBuild when we went. It used to be FutureBuild, then it was EcoBuild, now it's back to FutureBuild. Okay, but when it was EcoBuild, yeah. um, it, it used to take up a massive amount of space, didn't it? Because of all, <coughs> yeah. of the, um, all of the solar PV, and then the tariffs dropped. There was basically a whole hall that was just solar PV. Yeah. And then it, and then it obviously became much smaller. Um, but I think as battery storage technology increases and the number of companies offering that, Increase. I think the uh, the space it takes will be bigger. So, uh, yeah, one thing that did catch what I was just um, just remembered it. Oh, so yeah. Tesla, Tesla, Tesla uh, lowering the prices for its uh, Model Three. Yeah, which is kind of its mid range. It's well, it's his entry. It's the one they want people buying. It's a kind yeah. of Ford Fiesta, isn't it? Yeah, expensive Ford Fiesta, but Ford Fiesta nonetheless. Yes. So that that was um, yeah, because just so many people signed up for it initially, and then they had uh, production problems. But then they've sort of said they've sorted it out now, mm. so they're trying to. I'd like a Tesla. Mass. I would like a Tesla. I think they're quite cool. Yes. Um, I like the sporty one. It's also marginally outside my price bracket. Yes. But anyway. Uh, and they've also said they are, which is probably not not good news. They're, they're getting rid of kind of lots of their uh, uh, stores where you can just walk in and you know play around with the. I so I I get that. that. I understand. I mean, it's expensive these stores. But I like how they said so you can drive the first thousand miles or something and just return it back. And really, get your money back. Yeah, blimey, they are they're cool. They're cool cars. There's one opposite my um, my house, and I always get quite car envy. Oh. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So that's it. I think that's it for, for um, 10. Episode 10 over. Uh, so we will come back to you next week. We're going to continue with um, oh. our insulation masterclass. Yes. And then um, and just and before we go, just, just worth mentioning where we can find podcasts. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't do worry. I had not forgotten about that, Nicholas. Yes. Um, where can we find us? So you can find this podcast. So obviously you can watch us on YouTube. Uh, you can find this, you can download it as a podcast and listen as you go uh, on Spotify, Apple, 
Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. Um, you can get it on our website. Uh, you can go on there and there's on the top there's a little thing that says podcast. You can click on there and you can subscribe. The number of subscribers are growing quite nicely. Okay. Um, so I'm starting to look at the stats and yeah, we're, we're doing all right. So hopefully people are enjoying it and it's useful. Yes. Um, we are always on the lookout for feedback. Yes. So if you think we're rubbish, that's fun. You know, or instinct, like, uh, or instinct, or kind of uh, people in the industry that want to have a chat, they can come down. Yeah, or you know, if Elon Elon Musk is listening, I would love a Tesla. Yes, it's worth, worth throwing that out there just yeah, in case. Um, but that I think is it for number ten. That's it. See you next week. See you next week.